0: Well, we've been talking about God blessing our home. And I think we've uh, pretty much discovered that everybody would like for their home to be blessed. Amen. We all want that blessing. But guess what? That blessing does not just come automatically. That blessing needs to be, um, we need to be intentional about it. And many times we want to read about the blessings of God, but we don't want to read the prerequisites. And almost every blessing of God has a prerequisite to receive that blessing. So as Christians, we're very good at uh, claiming the blessings of God, but we don't like to read those prerequisites because that costs us something. Amen? And so, uh, so what I want to talk about today is uh, this will be kind of the last one. We've talked about God blessing our home, and we talked to the fathers about being peacemakers in the home. Uh, the first week we talked about that we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness uh, in order to make our homes. So it's really about... Uh, This is really kind of towards parents and future parents and setting the tone in your home, all right? Uh, Because really the responsibility to set the spiritual tone in your home is up to you, mom and dad. And so uh, we really kind of keyed in on the fathers last week, although that really was to all of us to be the peacemakers in our home. But the very last one I wanted to give you I felt like was very appropriate for the times that we're in right now and the times that we're going through. Because I don't know if you realize it or not, but um, you are in the minority now as a Christian. Did you realize that? Uh, I don't know if you've realized that, uh, you know, it used to be if you had a Christian worldview, you were in the majority. And as time has gone on and as the decades have passed, uh, we have slipped from being the majority to being the minority. So what I'm going to talk about today is a lot more likely to happen to you today than it was 10 20 30 years ago and that is persecution if you have a christian home if you have christian values it's not am i going to be persecuted if you really are living a christian life you will be persecuted and we're going to see in god's word that he promised us that jesus even turned around and said hey if they did this to me if they hated me and i didn't do anything wrong and i all i did was love people and all i did was share the truth with people and they hated me so much they they killed me guess what? If they hated me, they'll hate you. If you take on my name and you take on my values and you represent me, then you will be persecuted. And what we need to do is quit looking at that as a terrible thing because many times we say, oh Lord, we're being persecuted. Now listen, let's be honest. You and I here in America, we don't really know what persecution is. Now you go over to some other countries where if you claim the name of Christ, it may cost you your life or cost you your job, or cost you your family, or cost you your home, that is real persecution. Amen. You and I, somebody calls you a holy roller, pff, you know, th- that's, that's our idea of persecution. Well, they made fun of me at work. Well, boo-hoo, honey. Suck it up, buttercup. Amen. Uh, hey, and what, what we're going to read today is Scripture tells us that if they persecute you, if they make fun of you, if they call you a name, Wear that as a badge of courage. We should be proud to be persecuted. That means, I'm going to tell you this today, I'm going to turn it around on you. When somebody calls you a name or makes fun of you or persecutes you, then that means you're doing something right. In fact, I would say this, if you're not being persecuted, if nobody sees your life as any different to make fun of you, then you may need to check things out and change some things in your life, all right? So today we're going to talk about persecution, but I don't want you to see this as a negative message. I want you to see this as a positive message, all right? Now, last week, uh, or the last two weeks, we had this statement. We are not just a Christian home, but we are a Christ-centered family. And what we decided was, it's real easy to call yourself a Christian. But unfortunately, we have taken all the meaning out of the word Christian. Uh, I told you last week, if we were to go out here in the Chapel Hill community and start knocking doors and just asking people, are you a Christian? What do you think most of them would say? Yes. Yes. Because we live in the Bible Belt. And let's see, okay, I'm not Muslim. I'm not Jewish. um, I'm not Hindu. So I guess... Process of elimination, I guess I'm a Christian. Hadn't been to church in 30 years, maybe never darkened the door of a church, but I am a Christian. In in the Bible Belt in East Texas, we become Christian just by process of elimination. I'm not anything else, so I must be Christian. I live in East Texas, all right? And so what I call that is cultural Christianity. And unfortunately, today what we have a lot is we don't have real Christianity, we have cultural Christianity. And what I'm saying to you today is it's real easy to call yourself a Christian. But guess what? Is there any evidence in your life to back that up? Listen, I can sit up here today, I can tell you, hi, I'm Mark Trammell. I'm a millionaire. I am a millionaire. And I can say it all day long, and I can try to convince you beyond a shadow of doubt, I am a millionaire. All right? But here's the thing. If you go look at my bank statements, no. There is no proof there. There is no evidence. There is nothing in my life. Go out there and look at that big, ugly, brown van I drive. Amen? Uh, look uh, Look at everything in my life, and there is no evidence to back up that I am a millionaire. Now, that's the way many Christians are today. They say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, can I tell you, that's a lot of the problem right there. In the English language, the word believe... Is a very generic term. I can believe that chair exists, uh, but guess what? That I can believe in that chair, but that chair is not going to do anything to change my life. I could invest my life in that chair; it's not going to do anything for me. Uh, literally, if you go back and you take the original language and the the language, the Greek language that they use for believe, it was literally to give my life to it. All right. So, in other words, it's not just enough. Yeah, I believe Jesus existed. I believe that Jesus was a real guy, and I believe he existed. Well, good for you. Amen? You're you, you're a little bit of the way there because a lot of people don't even believe that much. But guess what? That doesn't make you a Christian. You know what makes you a Christian? I have put my heart and my soul i have given my life to jesus christ he is my savior i've asked him to forgive my sins and i know that i'm saved and i know that i'm going to heaven not because of who i am but because of what jesus did for me and i accepted that i invested my life in jesus i gave my life to jesus jesus is my savior he is my lord can i get an amen Amen. that is what a christian is that, that word believe is a very strong version of believe, all right? It's not just, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, I, b- I believe in him. I believe he existed. That's not it, all right? And if that's as far as you've gone, let me tell you today, I love you, but that's not far enough. And I'm here to tell you, like one beggar who found a piece of bread, I want to tell another beggar where a piece of bread is. And I just want to tell you, don't just believe in him. Give your heart, your life, And you soul to him. Amen. That's what it takes. And if you hadn't done that, do that today. All right. So to be a true Christian, to have a true Christian home means that Christ is going to be at the center of our home. So we're not just going to have a Christian home. We are going to have a Christ centered family. Now, who's in charge of making that happen? The leaders of the family. Who's supposed to be the leaders of the family? The dad is to be the spiritual leader. He is to be the priest of the home. And then mom is second in command right behind him. You should be setting the tone. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Here's what you've got to understand, though. I have been in many homes. Maybe I've been in some of your homes. And I go in that house, and it is utter and complete chaos. Anybody here ever felt like your house was utter and complete chaos? Hey, I've had those moments in my home. But as a general rule... I'm supposed to be in control. You know what I find when I go in many homes, though? The inmates are running the insane asylum. (laughs) Amen? Many times, it ain't mom and dad that are in control. The kids are in complete control. Amen? And it's utter and complete and total chaos. So I'm here to tell you, mom and dad, it does not just happen. You have to be strong. You have to make yourself the leader of the home. And you have to say, this is our home, and we are going to be a Christ centered home. What does that mean to be a Christ-centered home? That means every decision we make, everything that we do, every action we do as a family, Christ will be at the center of it. Amen? Amen. And that's how you make a difference. It doesn't just happen. You don't do it by just, uh, let's pray over our meal once a month so God will be happy with us. Uh, It's not checking the box. It's about literally everything in my life is wrapped around Christ. Every decision in my life is wrapped around Christ. Now, how do you teach your children that? Not by talking. Now, that's not to say you don't talk about it, but it's more about being caught than taught. So the best way to do that is I'm going to model that to my kids. Uh, when it's time for you to, to move, maybe you've got a job offer and you're thinking about moving to another place, what, an, what a great opportunity. Gather the family together and say, guys, I've got this job opportunity, but it means we'll have to move. So guess what? We need to ask God what he wants us to do. We need to get God's opinion, and we need to do what God wants us to do, not what we want to do. And then gather that family together and let your kids see you praying and saying, God, we need your wisdom. God, we need your discernment. God, we want to do the right thing, and we want to be in the center of your will. That's how you do it. So your kids see you do it. You model it in front of your children. So guess what? You know what? The only—my mom's not able to be here today. She's not feeling well. But you know where I got my parenting style from and where you got your parenting style from? It was by watching my mom and dad. And that's exactly—so everybody in here— be it good or bad, be it good habits or bad habits, you, the only example you have and the only uh, mentorship you have in how you parent is from your parents, all right? And again, that can be good and that can be bad. But guess what? You can take the good things and do the good things, but guess what? Here's your opportunity to say, you know what? My mom and did. My mom and dad, we didn't pray in our house. Well, guess what? We're gonna we're gonna change that part. All right, and we're gonna make this a Christ-centered home, and we're going to pray about everything. We're gonna pray over our meals. We're gonna pray about decisions. We're gonna pray. We're just gonna pray together as a family at night and ask for the Lord's protection and ask for the Lord to use us as a family. All right, you model it in front of your children. Now, let me ask you what what you think will happen if you take your kids from a very young age, as soon as they can talk, and your kids. See you pray together as a family every single night, or maybe almost every single night. What do you think's going to happen as your kids become adults? Now listen, again, I know they have their own free will, and they're not always going to choose the right decisions, but I guess what? You're going to have a much higher chance of that person doing that in their family than if you didn't model it at all, all right? To them, to a kid that's raised that way for 18 years, to see that happen every single night, it just becomes second nature. It just becomes this is what we do. And, and those kids grow up thinking that's how everybody operates in their house. You know what happened when my kids started to go and spend the night at other kids' houses? This is what should happen. And, again, I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back because, believe me, I got a lot more of it wrong than I did right. But every once in a while I got it right. And I would know I got it right when my kids would go to another kid's house and they'd say, Whoo, man, that was kind of crazy over there at their house. You know what they did over there? Man, they, they were watching uh, movies. We, uh, Man, you know, uh, we should not have been watching. And uh, mom and dad, they were drinking some funny stuff, and it smelled funny, and they were acting funny after they drank it. And, uh, you know, they, we sat down to eat the meal, and everybody just started eating away. Nobody prayed over the meal. And so as my kids began to go to other people's houses, they began to notice that not everybody does what we do in our house. Not everybody acts like we act in our house. The rules were not necessarily the same in other people's houses. Now, that's a good thing, all right? Again, I didn't get it all right, but that was a good indication that all right. Because why? You should be different. If you're called to Christ and Christ is the head of your home and he's in the center of your home, then you should look different. Everything about your home should look different. Everything about your family should look different. Amen? So that's what I want to encourage you uh, today, all right? Let's go to the first scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 5. We've been in the Beatitudes. And here's what Jesus said. It's in red because right out of Jesus' mouth. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, before we leave this verse, I want you to look very carefully. Blessed are those who are persecuted for what? For righteousness' sake. Now, you can get persecuted for a lot of things, and I'm not talking about those other things. Listen, uh, we live in the day of social media. I get on it uh, every single day, and I want want to turn it off most days. uh, Because many people, there are just these word wars going on. And it becomes political, it becomes opinion, and different things. Here's what I want you to understand. I'm not talking about being persecuted for your political views. All right. I'm not talking about being persecuted for your opinion of COVID-19. Everybody's got an opinion. You know how I go through life? This may seem really funny to you, but here's how I go through life. And this is a preacher talking. I go through life assuming that you don't want to know my opinion until you come and you ask me. Why can't we all just live like that? I just go through life. Maybe it's just the way I was brought up, but I go through life assuming, yes, I have an opinion but I go through life assuming you, you, you probably have an opinion too, and you really don't want to hear my opinion unless you come and specifically ask me that opinion. But now, in the age of social media, we believe everybody needs to hear my opinion. And I, I, can I burst your bubble? I really don't care what you think. All right? I mean, I hate to burst your bubble. And let me say that back at you. You probably don't care what I think. All right? Now, if you want to know my opinion and you come ask me my opinion, I will gladly give it to you, all right? But in this worldwide web of public opinion, I'm not talking about that. Notice it is a specific thing that it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. These are specifically being persecuted for the things where you take a stand for Jesus Christ. All right. So I wanted to separate those two because I know there's a lot of people say, well, you know, I get on Facebook and I, I want to tell everybody what an idiot they are. And then people want to call me names. Well, guess what? You know, you just called them an idiot. So yeah, you're going to get some of that back. I'm not even talking about those things. I'm talking about the things that we do for Christ and that we do for righteousness sake, that kind of persecution. All right. All right. So what does it mean to be persecuted for Christ? What does it mean to endure hardship for your faith in Christ? Persecuted because of righteousness' sake. It's, in other words, righteousness' sake is the way you live. Now, I used to have a problem with the word righteous. I want you to write this down. Righteousness. Write it down and then divide the word. Righteousness. And all that means, if you break it down and you go back to the original language, is Right in God's sight. All right. I used to think of righteousness like holiness. When God said be holy like I'm holy, I go, I can't, I can't do that. You know, to, to me in my mind, that meant perfection. And there's no way I can be perfect. All right. And so that whole, the, all these verses used to really mess me up. Well, how in the world can I be holy like God is holy? How in the world can I be righteous? I don't have any righteousness. But if you break the word down and you go back to the original language, here's what it actually means. To clothe yourself in God's righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It is God's righteousness. Can I get an amen and a praise of the Lord? Because uh, I don't have any righteousness. Here's what's confusing about it. We would read, and the Bible would say, well, your righteousness is like filthy rags. But then it says that I'm to be righteous. Well, how in the world can I do that? You just told me my righteousness is like filthy rags, like I should throw it away. It's because it's not your righteousness. It is the righteousness of God, and you clothe yourself in it, all right? I don't have any righteousness, but guess what? My God is so righteous, and if I have clothed myself in his righteousness, I am covered in the blood of Jesus. Amen. I am covered by my God, all right? So, here's what, and you don't even have to preach at anybody to be persecuted. I want to go back, and I want you to think about the first two guys in the Bible where there was persecution. you remember a couple guys named Cain and Abel? You remember Adam and Eve, and they had two sons, and their name was Cain and Abel. And uh, Cain ends up killing Abel. And do you know why he killed him? Jealousy. And here's the thing. He didn't kill him because Abel was preaching to him. Abel was not preaching to him. He was not being uh, all puffed up and self-righteous about it. You know what made uh, Cain so mad? Was he was watching Abel living in his righteousness, and it burned him up. He was so jealous because Abel was living in a pleasing way to God. Wasn't, wasn't preaching to Cain. Wasn't giving Cain any grief about it. He was just living his life for God, And God was pleased with him and favored with him and blessed his home, all right? And so Cain got so jealous that he just couldn't stand it, so jealous to the point that he goes and he kills his own brother. Now, what does that tell you? Very first story, one of the very first stories in the Bible. And what we've got to understand is people are not going to hate you because you're going around preaching to them. You may say, well, I don't, you know, I don't carry my Bible around at work, and I don't thump my Bible, and I don't you know, preach it, but they still make fun of me. Guess what? doesn't take any of that. If you are living in God's righteousness, they're going to hate you. Why are they going to hate you? Because they see something in you that makes them not be able to justify their own sinful ways. All right? Now, that, let, me, let me preface this by saying this. I'm a sinner, dirty, rotten, stinking sinner. You are a dirty, rotten, stinking sin. So we're all on the same plane here. But the fact of the matter is, uh, most people want to justify their sin. Most people want to say, well, yeah, I got some problems. Uh, but I'm not as bad as Chris. Thank God. Amen. (laughs) You know, uh, you know, I, yeah, I got my problem, but I'm way better than him. Amen. And there is no comparison game at all. It's Either Chris is saved by the blood of Jesus or Mark's saved by the blood of Jesus. His sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. My sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And then from there, it's my walk with the Lord. Am I trying to walk in the righteousness of God? Now, here's the thing. If I'm not walking in the righteousness of God and I look over here and I see Chris's life and I see his little family being blessed, and you're blessed, brother, amen, and I see his home being blessed and I see him living for the Lord, it can start to burn on me. Can start to cause jealousy. It can start to cause anger. Not because Chris is a bad guy. Chris is just doing the thing God told him to do. But now I see Chris doing it the right way, and I can no longer justify my own sin. And now I have to look and say, Well, if Chris can do it, then unfortunately that means I can do it. And my excuses are gone. It removes people's excuse when people see you living for god and living a righteous life for god it removes their excuses that they can live in sin and just keep living that way amen and so what is that going to do that's going to make people angry and they're going to lash out i told you this last week when people get angry what do they do they turn to children julie and i just saw it the other day we're driving down the road yesterday somebody cut somebody off Oh, man, oh, man. Then it was on, amen. Then the truck moves in behind them, and they're moving around. And they're going at each other, and they want to just pull over, pull over. And they're shouting a half-a-piece sign at somebody, and they're, you know, just shaking their fist. And Julie and I are driving behind this, and we're going, there it is. And I, I turned to Julie and I said, you remember what, what I said this past Sunday? I said, what do we do? Turn to five-year-olds. We get angry, and we immediately turn to children again. And here are these people doing it right in front of us. And the, the hard part is these are people driving uh, a ton, you know, two-ton vehicles around, angry at each other and liable to kill somebody. Or many people get shot or uh, fights, break out in the middle of a highway. Is that, the, is that the behavior of adults? No, that's the behavior of children. Stupid, young, immature. Children. So my statement to you would be, why can't we all just grow up? Let me make it a little closer to home for you. Husband, wife, why can't we just grow up? Why can't we argue like adults? Why we got to go yelling at each other? Why you got to call me names? Now listen, you can call names all day. My wife could call me fat. Guess what? I know I'm fat. Amen. But she doesn't do that because she loves me. She doesn't do that because she knows that would wound me. All right. Because, you know, and here's what people do. Immediately when we get angry, we begin to look at the weaknesses at each person and we begin to say in our mind, what would hurt them the most? What word could I call them that would wound them and hurt them the most? It's sad, isn't it? But that's exactly where we go. You know what, Julie and I have not perfected our marriage, but I do believe we've learned how to fight fairly. And listen, you're always gonna disagree because you're opposites, because opposites attract, so you're never gonna see things exactly the same way. But you better grow up, if you want your marriage to last, you better grow up and learn how to resolve your issues. But that means acting like an adult, not a child, amen. For all you with road rage, Miss Julie, yeah. Um, for all you with road rage, calm down. Breathe. If they cut you off, it's okay. God's probably going to get them some other way. Just let them go. Amen. But I'm here to tell you, I've, it's just amazing to me. We just turn into children. But we've got to grow up. Do you think that Jesus, what was, what was so amazing about Jesus? To me, it was the control of Jesus. When you, you remember that song that says he could have called 10,000 angels down when he was hanging on that cross? Do you understand if you had the power of the Son of God to just smoke everybody right there? They're spitting on you. They're pulling your beard out. They're calling you every name under the book. They're spitting on you. They're, they're nailing you to a cross. They have beaten you beyond recognition, pulling the skin off of your body. And you hang up there on that cross, and you say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine the restraint and the maturity that it takes to be able to do that? It's almost more than you can imagine. The restraint to not call 10,000 angels. The restraint to not just say, God, smoke them all right now. The restraint to just say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's what you and I need to aspire to. Amen. Have you been wronged? Yes. Yes. Have terrible things happen to you in your life probably yes and i'm sorry and i cannot go back and change those things but you've got to learn to move on not for the other person's sake for your sake otherwise it's going to eat you alive all right all right preparing your family for persecution let's go to the next slide preparing your family oh i'm sorry i didn't finish um oh through 12 yeah all right blessed are you When they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, last verse, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus says, hey, when they persecute you, have a party. Amen. Have joy. In other words, again, take a negative, make it a positive and say, you know what? I... It's a badge of courage that the Lord would count me worthy to be able to suffer for him. All right. All right. Preparing your family for persecution. All right. I'm going to give you three things and then we'll wrap it up today. Number one, expect it. Expect persecution. All right. And the scripture with this one is 2 Timothy 3.12. It goes like this. All right. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Can you read that? Will suffer persecution. not maybe if you're living for him and the evidence is coming out in your life then you're going to suffer persecution all right a christ-centered family is a different family it may cost you they will make fun of you they will throw jabs at you at the family thanksgiving you got non-christian family members and you go to thanksgiving and they just want to throw those little jabs in there maybe you're the holy roller who says uh, hey guys it's thanksgiving uh, why don't we pray before we eat this? And why don't we tell God what we're thankful for? And all your family members go, oh, God, here's a holy roller. We always got to have him here, don't we? Good Lord. All right, preacher, go ahead and pray. If you got to do it, go ahead and pray. It's the, it's the little thing sometimes, isn't it? All right? Uh, maybe you have put something about Christ and your stand for Christ and somebody harasses you on Facebook. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You know somebody said something bad about me on Facebook again wish I cared don't care all right Um, maybe somebody makes fun of you for reading your Bible you know what young people you know what one of the bravest things I ever did and I did it because somebody challenged me to do it Uh, my youth pastor at the time I got saved when I was 15 and so I kind of asked him what could I do to be a witness at school and he said I want to challenge you to do something Get a Bible. I'm not talking about the big family Bible, the big 20-pounder. I'm talking about just any Bible. Just get a a regular-sized Bible, put it on top of your books, and just carry it with you to school. Don't break it open. Don't read it. I'm not challenging you to do any of that. I'm just saying carry the Bible with you on top of your school books to every class. Don't say a word. And if you can withstand that, then uh, you will grow by leaps and bounds in your walk with God. And I'm here to tell you I did it for an entire year. And uh, it, was something, it was the bravest thing I ever did. And you may, that may not sound hard at all, but I challenge you. Take a Bible, just a regular-sized Bible, and just put it in a prominent place on your desk at work. Put it right out there where everybody can see it. Don't say a word. Open it and read it if you want to, but that's not even the point. The point is just to say, here's a Bible. It's sitting on my desk. I have it here at my place of work, and it means something to me. That's what I stand for. That's my life. Without even having to say a word, you're basically making a statement. And guess what? I got harassed. I got made fun of at school. But guess what? That's part of it. That's part of it. People need to do. People know where you stand. Maybe if you've never been harassed and never been persecuted, it's because people don't know where you stand. All right? Something as simple as a little Bible sitting on your desk can make all the difference. Um, Maybe you got overlooked for a promotion because they think you're too religious. Uh, the world is becoming increasingly more hostile towards Christianity. Do you believe that? I think we see it every single day. Uh, I'm going to tell you this story and again, I can only share my stories cause they're the only ones I got. Uh, and this is not again saying Julie and I got it all right, but, um, our son, Joshua was very good at baseball. And so they went to the state championship. And so Julie and I are sitting there, and they knew I was on staff at a church. I was the preacher man. And uh, so Joshua and them were playing for the state championship. And so the coaches wanted to motivate the kids. You remember this, Julie? Uh, So in order to motivate the kids, now these kids were, I think, 13 at the time. Yeah, 13 years old, playing for the state little uh, uh, Dixie Youth Baseball state championship. And the coaches, in an effort to get the best out of their players, said, Boys, if we win, we're taking y'all to Hooters. (laughs) And all the parents kind of went, oh, okay, we are. And immediately I could feel all these gazes turn towards the preacher man. (laughs) And uh, so the pressure was on, right? Because everybody was like, oh, okay, preacher man, what are we going to do here? Amen. (laughs) And so I tried to handle it in the best way I knew how. I didn't do it in a public forum. Again, I tried to act like an adult. I did not call the coaches out in front of the kids. I did not call the coaches out in front of the other parents. I simply, after that was said, pulled one of the coaches to the side and said, you know what, these are 13-year-old boys, and I really don't think going to Hooters is the best thing for these boys. And uh, I think I feel that way, and I think some of these other parents, my son will not be going, uh, and I feel like some of the other boys will not be going, so we either need to change the location of where we're going afterwards, or we'll just take our son and go on home, all right? And guess what? We did not go to Hooters, amen? All right, so... You've got a choice, here. you can take a stand. But, and even in handling it, trying to handle it like an adult. I could have become angry and childish and started calling names and condemning them all. Y'all are all going to burn in hell, you know, and uh, start thumping on the Bible and everything. But that's not what God called me to do. God called me to take a stand. But my job, and here's where we get it wrong sometimes, y'all. Uh, we want to embarrass the other person. You ever seen that? Read Facebook one day read Instagram one day and see the comments between Christians and non-Christians or the one that leans to the right and the ones that leans to the left. And it's, you idiot, you fool. And I'm not even talking about the non-Christian. I'm talking about the Christian. And so, again, that does not give you a license to bring judgment down on everybody. Uh, There is a way to handle it, and there is a way to say, you know what? And if you're representing Jesus, do you really want to take a stand for Jesus by calling the other person an idiot? What would Jesus do? Is that the way Jesus would handle it? No. So there is a a way to handle it. You can take a stand without degrading the other person, without bringing the other person down. All right? Uh, All right. So number one, expect it. All right? I'm going to skip some things here because I'm running behind uh, Matthew. Uh, Number two, endure it. All right? Endure it. The scripture on this one is 1 Corinthians 4.12. Go ahead and put that one. And we labor, working with our own hands, and being reviled, we bless being persecuted, we endure. Now I want you to look at this: being reviled. What does that mean? Being persecuted, basically, being somebody saying bad, something bad about you. You turn around, you bless that person. Somebody persecute you. Being persecuted, we endure it. All right. So again, what is the proper way to handle it? Not lash out. Not call them an idiot. Not say you're so dumb you can't find your way out of a paper bag. You know any of those things? Uh, it is: if you revile me, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to bless you. If you persecute me, I'm just going to take it. I'm going to turn the other cheek, and I'm going to endure it, all right? Now, am I telling you that's easy? No. If you call me an idiot, what does my human nature want to do? I want to turn right back around and call you a bigger idiot, amen? That's human nature. So to fight human nature and to do it in the spirit of God is to say, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but I'm just going to turn around. I'm going to bless you. If you said something negative to me, I'm just going to endure it. And I'm going to turn the other cheek. All right? That's how Jesus would handle it. All right? That's what will honor uh, Jesus. All right? Don't whine about it. Don't gripe about it. Don't retaliate for it. Jesus hung on the cross, and he didn't do any of that. They nailed him to a cross, and they killed him, and he never did any of that. All right? All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, give me this uh this slide here uh matthew when family identity is strong uh, peer pressure is weak when family identity is weak peer pressure is strong so in other words now here's the deal when your kids are little when when my kids were little they thought i was superman did you experience that your kids are three four years old Man, your kids think you are Superman. Uh-oh, uh-oh, my daughter's already laughing. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe not my daughter, all right? Uh, she's, she's laughing at me. No, so, you know, but your kids, they look up to you, and there's a certain amount of respect when they're there. And then all of a sudden, they enter those preteen, teen years, and somewhere along there, I'm not even sure what age it happened, I went from being the smartest man on the planet to being the stupidest man on the planet. You ever notice... <laughs> You ever notice how that happens? They become teenagers. Well, what happens? When they're little, you are their world. You are their, you're their peers, pretty much. They're not exposed to anybody else. And then as they get to be teenagers, uh, their, their peer group becomes a stronger influence in their life than you do. And so they begin to listen to their peer group more but guess what i got good news for you if you're raising teenagers they eventually get older and they start to kind of come back around all right that's the good thing all right uh so yes yeah, <laughs> you you got to wait on it but it will happen they will come back around but notice this if the family identity if your home is strong then peer pressure will not have as much influence if your family is weak then the peer pressure is going to take over and they will, get, they will get all of their value and all of their, all their values and all of their morals from their peer group, not from you. All right? All right. And the last thing, and I'll wrap it up here, number three, embrace it. Embrace persecution. It's coming. Jesus said it is. So just embrace it. In fact, I would say this. Prepare your kids. Gather your kids at night. Pray together and say, hey, kids, guess what? Not everybody thinks like we do. Guess what? Not everybody operates in their home like we do. And not everybody loves the Lord like we do. So guess what? We may be persecuted. And ex- you can expect it. And that's okay. But here's the way we're going to handle it and go over some of these things I talked about. We're not going to lash out. We're going to turn the other cheek. We're not going to retaliate. We're going to handle it like mature people. And we're going to bless them if they say something bad about us. We're going to turn the other cheek if they say something bad about us. All right? Uh, the scripture for uh, embrace it is this one. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, and then 16. 12 and 13 says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And then verse 16 says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So once again, it is to your glory when you're persecuted. I want you to be happy when you get persecuted, when somebody calls you Holy Joe or Holy Roller or uh, that fanatic Jesus freak. That is a badge of honor and a badge of courage. In fact, if you're old enough to be, you remember in the 90s uh, contemporary Christian music, there was a group called DC Talk, and they came out with a song called Jesus Freak. And the Jesus freak was because one of the guys in D.C. talk always got called that. Oh, you're just one of those Jesus freaks. So what did he do? He made a song out of it, and he made took a negative and made a positive out of it. I am proud. You can call me a Jesus freak. I'd rather be a Jesus freak than any other kind of freak. Because you can be a freak for a lot of things, but guess what? It's a good thing to be a Jesus freak. So I want to leave you with that today. Go from this place, be a Jesus freak, be proud to be a Jesus freak. Count it as an honor if somebody makes fun of you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, we understand that we are going to be persecuted because they persecuted you, because they hated you, because they hung you on a cross, God. There will be that persecution that comes to us. And Lord, you would give us strength, and God, you would give us strength to endure Help us to handle things the way you would handle them, to bless others when they revile us, and to endure it when they persecute us. Make us strong in the name of Jesus. Amen. Everybody said amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday.